Today it's Mark 4, and I, I do want to say that like snow outside, negative 72 wind chill, um, roads, whatever, uh, Christmas, Easter, December 31st, January 2nd, you know, June 7th, I prepare a message the same way. So I don't like try to do a mediocre message when I think the crowd's going to be low. So it wasn't like last, last month or last night I was thinking like, hey, I'm gonna, I prepared a really good message for tomorrow, but it's cold, so I'm going to switch it out for a mediocre one. You with me? Man, I don't know what my message is like today. You can, you can decide, okay? I'm not saying it's going to be awesome. I'm just saying that, that I prepare the same way. And so you, when you're thinking in the morning, like, ah, it's cold, or, oh, man, I'm tired, or I don't even, it's going to be, like, January, I mean, it's December 31st, nobody's going to be there. Like, I don't know if I should go to church. Just know, from my perspective, that I, I prepare the same amount each week to, to bring you what I believe is God's word for you right now. And so as we get into Mark 4, let's just pray uh, that God would do that. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that today's word, uh, your word, would, would be timely. That's the word that comes to mind, timely. God, that it would fit this time right now in the lives of everyone who braved the weather to be here. God, that you would use me as your vessel, uh, not to get glory, but to get, to, to get glory for you. And uh, I pray as always that my words would be forgotten and yours would be remembered. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. All right. Um, when I say everybody said, then you're supposed to say amen. Okay, just making sure you knew that. It's cold outside. It's the last day of 2017. You want to end the last day of 2017 clapping at the right time, saying amen at the right time. Don't you? I mean, don't you just want to end on a high note today? I'm just throwing that out there. Something that might be, your New Year's resolution should be clapping at the right time in church. That should be your deal. Okay, so make sure that happens. But what I want to talk to you about today, Mark 4, what I want to talk to you about today uh, is the power of one. The power of one. Uh, and, and it kind of sounds like Highlander, right? Like there can be only one. Did you guys watch Highlander when you were kids? Okay, maybe not. Uh, it's awesome. You guys should go get it. It's on VHS. <laughs> you should go check it out. Highlander, the power of one. What about Transformers? Like one shall rise and... Parents, come on. You guys watch Transformers with your kids, right? Or people who are adult, adult men who still watch it like they're boys, okay? That's me, all right? We watch Transformers Prime at my house like every single day, all right? One shall rise, one shall fall. I want to talk to you about the power of one, the power of one. We live in a culture and a society that loves big results and big numbers and fast starts, right? We, we love to hear the big success stories. Um, and if you're not having that fast growth, then our culture kind of thinks that you're not doing something right. Uh, you're, not, you're not successful. And I think it really has to do with how small the world has gotten. Because we've always had some, some people who were very successful early on. We've always had some people who saw big results and big fruit and, and all of that. Uh, but before, we didn't hear about it, right? But now, it's the story that, the stories that get shared and posted and reported on in the media. And so what we can do is we can kind of, in, our, in today's culture, in the, in the culture of fast starts and big numbers, we can start to kind of think that that's the norm. That, that big numbers is the norm, right? And, and so when we're doing something like that, it doesn't really add up to what they're doing, right? This week, I must be doing something wrong. We feel like a failure. Our standards go way up. It's way too high as far as numbers go. We're all about this big number. Um, and it's this idea, this culture of big numbers has, has permeated the church uh, world. Like, if you're not, a lot of people think if you're not a church of, you know, two or 3,000, then, then you're not doing something right. You know, you're not, you're not doing what you should be doing for the, for the sake of the gospel. That, that you should be this ridiculous, you know, you should, everybody should be a church of 3,000 or more. Some people think that. And yet, the vast majority of churches in America are under 100. And they are preaching the gospel. Lives are being changed, right? These are God-loving, God-fearing, gospel-preaching churches that are doing exactly what God wants them to do. And the message you preach and the town you find yourself in and how seriously you as a church choose to take the very biblical ideas of community and accountability and authority and spiritual growth, that all has a big effect on your numbers, right? 
um, it has a big effect on, on those numerics. So we get discouraged uh, if we don't hit these, these big numbers. And it's not just churches, it's Christians in churches that this affects as well. Like we get discouraged when we, we invite somebody to church and they don't, they don't come. We, we witness and they don't, they don't give their lives over to Jesus. And we start to think like, should I even, I'm not even going to worry about witnessing my coworker or my neighbor because this one person, it's not five or 20 or 100. And I, what's just a drop in the bucket? I can't really, you know, I don't have these big numbers like these other people, right? And our standards are just way up there. But today, I want to talk to you about the power of one, the power, the power of the one, Jesus. And I want to talk to you about the power of one changed life. And I want to talk to you about the power of one step of obedience. Because in our text today in Mark 4, Jesus is wanting to cross the Sea of Galilee and go uh, and take his message of salvation to the thousands of people in the cities on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. There's big numbers over there, uh, you know, big, big results, success, all of that, whole cities are lost. And so he wants to take his message, but how's he going to pull this off? How's he going to do this? How's he going to make it work? Uh, because the cities on the other side of the Sea of Galilee from where he is, they weren't just any cities. They weren't just regular cities. This isn't just any group of people. The area was called the Decapolis. Everybody say Decapolis, which literally means cut someone's head off. No, I'm kidding. It means 10 cities. It means 10 cities. And so there were 10 cities in this region, and it was this dark, pagan place now, these people had forsaken the God of Israel. They had, decide, they had decided to worship other gods. They were into sacrificing people in, uh, you know, for, to fertility gods and temple prostitutes. And this was just a very dark, dark place across the Sea of Galilee. And it represented everything the Jews were against. When Rome had taken over, the people of Decapolis had just added the Roman gods to their list of gods. And it just got darker and more pagan and more wicked. It's a dark place. And this was the place that moms at the time in the Jewish world would use to scare their kids into submission. Have you ever used something to scare your kids into submission? Like if you don't do that, if you don't stop, then I'm going to send you to Decapolis. All right? If you don't stop, I'm going to send you out in the cold. If you don't stop, I'm going to send you to the wolves. All right? There's this kind of boogeyman type thing going on with the people in Decapolis, the Jewish people talking about the people um, in, in Decapolis. Now, when we were missionaries in China, we heard Chinese parents all the time talking about this, this laohu, which in Chinese means tiger, this tiger that was around. Uh, they would tell their children that if they don't act right, this tiger is going to come and eat them. It was awesome. It, I was like, I'm going to use that. <laughs> so if you ever hear my four-year-old Joshua talking about a tiger, you're going to know why. All right? um, act right, buddy, or that lahu's coming, and it ain't going to be good. All right? I'm kidding. I don't do that, at least not since this morning. But... Um, that's the kind of thing the capitalist was to the Jewish people. Mothers told their children, don't, don't ever go over there, kids. Don't ever go over Don't be like them. They'd say, it's evil over there. There are demons and evil spirits, and they'll eat you alive if you don't act right. Those people over there are lost. They're dark. That's as lost as you can get. They'd say, don't ever go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Stay here on the Jewish side in the safe zone. They were told... But if they ever went over there, bad things would happen to them. God would be angry. They would be cursed. And so that's the context of this. That's what the disciples grew up hearing. It's safe to say they're terrified of this Decapolis on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Look at Mark 4, starting in verse 35. It says, On that day... When evening had come, he said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. Let us go to across to the other side. So can you imagine what the disciples are doing when he says this? Like they're like, what now? Across what? To where? 
across the, surely you don't mean across the Sea of Galilee to Decapolis. Surely you don't mean across the Sea of Galilee. Don't you know, Jesus, that it is dark and it is evil and it is wicked? Don't you know that you will never go there? Didn't your mama Mary tell you? That you don't ever go across the Sea of Galilee. Don't, no. Why would we go over there? Don't you know that good Jewish boys and good Jewish girls never go there? Don't you know that? And if they do, bad things happen. They're cursed. They don't make it back. But they go, to Je- they go with Jesus, the disciples do. And it doesn't take long for something bad to happen. Look at the next verse. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now, this is not just any little windstorm, okay? The, the Gospel of Matthew talks about this and uses the Greek word seismos, which we, where, is where we get seismic activity. It literally, means, it literally means earthquake. So this is a huge storm that has come up on the Sea of Galilee. It's big, it's scary, and the disciples are thinking, we knew that this wasn't a good idea. And look at, uh, you'll kind of get the feel of it when you see uh, what they say to Jesus Verse 38, he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him, Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are what? We're dying here. We're about to die, Jesus. Wake up. They wake Jesus up, and they go, we're going to die. Don't you care that we're dying? They think they're going to die, and some of them are probably going, Mama was right, right? Like, my mama was right. This is bad. We shouldn't have come. I told you, Jesus, my mama was right. You never go across the Sea of Galilee. To the, uh, this storm is huge, and it's going to kill us. They're freaking out, about to die. They feel like they are. So they wake Jesus up. Look at verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this guy? So Jesus is sleeping through this whole thing, unbothered, unworried. They wake him up in a panic, and he just stands up. And you can imagine Jesus just been sleeping on a cushion. He's got the, like, bed head, right? Like the, I don't know if Jesus' hair was always perfect, but I'm going to go no, okay? So he, he was on the cushion. He's got that bed head going, sleeping his eyes. Like, what's going on? Why are you freaking out? Oh, it's kind of stormy out. Peace, be still. And the wind and the waves obey him. He speaks to the storm, speaks to the wind and the waves, and they recognize his voice. Isn't that crazy? I mean, the wind and the waves, they listen, they stop, they obey. And in that moment, Jesus displays who he is, doesn't he? He displays exactly who he is. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just some good moral guy who had some good ideas that stood the test of time. That's not who he is. He's God. He, he's God because God's the only one who can command the wind and the waves and they obey him. You can command the wind and the waves. Anybody can command the wind and the waves. But if they obey you, that's something different, right? Like you can go outside and be like, sunshine, summer weather, come in. And then we'll take you right to the loony bin, right? we we'll be like, okay, good job. Let's go now. What kind of, what are they preaching at that church? People coming out talking to the weather. Now you can command it, but they don't obey you because it's Jesus they obey. He's God. You are not, right? Only God has that kind of power over creation. So there's power in the one, Jesus There's power in the one, Jesus. And here's what I want you to hear. Just like he had power over that storm in Mark 4, Jesus is strong enough to overcome the storms in your life. Do you believe that? That Jesus is strong enough to overcome the storms in your life. That difficulty, that trial, that storm you're going through, he has power over it because he has all 
the power. And even though you might be freaking out and feeling like Jesus is sleeping on the job, he's not. He's not at a loss. He's not worried. He's not surprised. He's not trying to come up with a way to help you like, oh, gosh, I hope I have enough power to help them. Man, they really got into this crazy storm. I'm not sure, Jesus, I'm not sure me, Jesus, can help this poor guy or this poor girl. I'm not sure I can come up come up with enough power. No, he has all the power. He has all the power. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's a kid that's lost their mind and is way off in left field running from God. He's strong enough for that. Maybe you're in the depths of some despair because you lost a loved one, a parent, a child, a son or a daughter, a friend. Listen, he's strong enough even for that. Maybe you're freaked out because you lost your job or someone got sick and there are these medical bills piling up and you're worried about that. Listen, he's strong enough for that. Turn to the, next, the person next to you and say, he's strong enough for that. Some of you don't believe it. Some of you don't believe it. You're not with me, okay? Turn to the person next to you and say, he's strong enough for that. Because he is. He's strong enough for all of that. He has all the power. But I don't want this to be all about like what God can give us and what we can get out of this whole Christianity thing and what Jesus can do for us. So just think about what just happened in this text for just a minute. Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves and they obeyed him. He stood up and he said, stop it. And they stopped. How awesome is that? Can we just take a second? And just think about how awesome is that? How amazing is our God that the wind and the waves obey him? How awesome is he that he created them in such a way that he can speak at any time and they would obey him? How awesome is our God that he not only created everything, set the world spinning and walked. He didn't do that. He didn't walk away, but he sustains life. He's here right now speaking to wind and waves. I'm going to try again. How awesome is God that the wind and the waves obey him? Isn't he awesome? I mean, he's awesome. Our God is amazing. He's the creator, not some made-up God, not some statue of wood or stone. Not, it's not empty like running after wealth and status and all that. It's not that. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He is amazing. He's, he's awesome. He's awesome. But let's look back at Mark 4, because our story doesn't stop there. The disciples and Jesus are headed across the lake, and they've almost died. The journey is not, has not started out well. I can imagine the disciples are not excited about getting to the other side. They're probably asking each other, do you think like the reason we came on this trip was so that we'd go through that storm and we'd learn who Jesus is? Like maybe we don't actually have to go, right? Maybe we don't have to actually have to make it to the other side. Maybe he's going to let us turn around now. But he doesn't. They don't turn around. They don't go back. Look at Mark 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. Mark thought that was important. He put it in there twice. He lived among the tombs. What is he saying? He's saying, this is creepy, okay? Verse 3, he lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but, chains, but he wrenched the chains, chains apart. And he wrenched the chains apart totally lost my place. No one could bind him. Verse 4, he'd often been bound with chains, shackles, chains, wrenched the chains apart. Okay. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, this is a crazy scene. Okay, let's not just read over it like we do in church. I like just read over that. Okay, well, that was totally normal. And just keep going, right? Like, you guys didn't see any crazy naked demon people running out of the tombs this morning, did you? Did you guys on your way here see any of that? This isn't normal, right? This is, this is a bizarre 
scene. And I'm thinking that this naked, dirty, crazed, demon-possessed guy isn't just like calmly sauntering over to Jesus. Am I sauntering okay? You guys feel me? He's not calmly like just like, hey, what's up, guys? Demon-possessed. Right? That's not what he's doing. What, he's, I think he's running, right? He's sprinting to Jesus and the disciples, crazed looking. like he's, It's crazy. This is a bizarre scene. This text just said that right when Jesus stepped out of the boat, this guy was there to meet him. Okay? He was there. So just imagine. They've just been through this storm. The disciples are scared of what they're getting into. They've got all these boogeyman stories of the, from their childhood coming back to their minds. Their mama told them when they were growing up. And as they get near to the shore in the boat, this deranged naked guy starts sprinting towards the shore, towards them. And he's running from where? The tombs. Even creepier, right? I mean, if you live in the tombs, you know that's like, I don't want to hang out with you, right? So he's coming from the tombs. This thing is getting creepier by the minute. The disciples are probably like, ah, oh, they're still in the boat. See the naked guy running from the tombs? They're probably like, ah, oh, turn around. To Jesus, can we turn the boat around? Do you see that guy? Let's turn it. John, turn the boat. And Jesus is like, no, 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 don't turn the boat. What? Do you see that guy running? He's got like broken shackles on his hands. He's naked. And he's coming from the tombs. Like, come on. Well, Jesus, don't you see that guy? Let's just turn around. Let's no. Jesus says, keep going. The disciples are like, let's not. Let's turn around. This place is cursed. So they go across the lake to this dark, lost evil place and they're met immediately by this demon-possessed man. So far, things are going swimmingly, aren't they? Just swimmingly. So far, things are going just like the disciples thought they would. Look at Mark 5, verse 6. And when he, the demon-possessed man, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice... He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, I beg you, to, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to the demon-possessed man, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus commands the demon to come out of the guy, and the guy goes, don't torment me, son of the most high God. Now, that's significant and extra creepy for a couple reasons. First of all, Jesus has not identified himself, Mark 4, early in the ministry and life of Jesus. He has not identified himself as the Son of God to this point to anyone. Nobody is calling Jesus the Son of God in Mark 4 or Mark 5, right? Nobody is doing that. Secondly, Jesus has never met this guy before. But he knows who he is. He runs to him. Jesus says, get out, foul spirit. The spirit screams and says, don't torment me, son of the most high God. So this demon knows who Jesus is. It gets, it gets even, even crazier. Look at verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Now, kids, don't try this at home, okay? Don't try this at home. If you come face to face with a demon-possessed person, don't worry about their name. Okay? Are you tracking with me? I don't know why Jesus did this, but he's Jesus, so he can do whatever he wants. Okay? But I wouldn't mess with introductions if I'm talking to a demon. Like, what's your name? All right? No, I wouldn't do that. I just wouldn't do it. Hey, my name's Jake. How's it going, demon guy? No. Don't do that. Okay? I don't know why he did it, but he did it. And he's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. So he said, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. The disciples are probably like, great, legion. <laughs> Couldn't his name have been Larry? I mean, we could handle demon Larry, but demon legion? I don't think we can do this. Jesus, we told you this was going to be bad. We could handle Larry, but not legion. I think we could do that. But come on, we told you. We told you. We shouldn't have come. Now it just gets 
It just gets weird next. And before, before we read the next, the next verses, I just want to say this. I don't know. So don't even ask me why, all right? Don't even ask me why this next thing happens, because I have no clue, okay? Verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, the demons, begged Jesus, saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Makes perfect sense. And the unclean spirits came out of out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled, told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. Just in case you just zoned out as I was reading that, or you were like looking at Facebook or buying stuff on Amazon, like with your, with your Christmas gift card, like just in case you just zoned out uh, while I was reading that, Jesus sent the legion of demons into a herd of pigs that ran into the water and drowned themselves. Now look at what happens next <laughs> when the people find out about this. Verse 15, And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. They came and they found him sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Now to this point, if we're reading this story, we're thinking this is going to end well, right? I mean, it's going to have a rocky start. There was this whole storm thing. Jesus took care of it. Crazy demon guy running at him at the store. Demon took, Jesus took care of it. Like all these people are going to give their lives over to Christ. It's going to be this big multitude thing. going to heal, you know, like he does in other areas in the gospel. Heal through the night. You know, thousands of people getting healed. It's going to be really, really good. But look at what the text says. It says they see the formerly demon-possessed man whom they know as this crazy guy from the tombs, clothed and in his right mind, healed. And then the end of verse 15, and they were what? Afraid. They were afraid. Not happy, not excited, not amazed, but afraid. Isn't that interesting? I mean, look at how they respond. You'd think they would want Jesus to stick around and help more people, but go down to verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They begged Jesus to depart from their region. They don't ask him to stay. They don't ask him to heal more people. They don't thank him. They ask him to leave. Isn't that interesting? Listen. The Bible says that the message of the gospel, the word of God, and Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God, right? So the word of God, the message of the gospel, it's the aroma of life to some and the stench of death to others. These people had other gods they sacrificed to, followed, obeyed, and worshipped. And that didn't jive with Jesus' presence. So they asked him to leave. Think about that. They ask him to leave. The message of the gospel is not universally accepted, is it? It's just not. Jesus is offensive. He calls people out. I mean, the Jesus of the gospels is walking around in public areas, pointing at the leaders and going, hey, you guys. It's not, Jesus is not talking about the Pharisees behind some closed door with the disciples. Like, hey, you know what? The Pharisees probably shouldn't pray out in the open on the street corner. Is that what Jesus is doing? No, he's out in the, he's on the street going, Pharisees, come over here a second. I got something to tell you. Come on over, Sadducees. Let's talk for a second. And he goes, woe to you. He doesn't go, hey, I've got an idea. You know what? Prayer is really between you and God, and you're kind of doing it out in the open, and maybe you should think about, like, I'm not judging you, because judge not lest you be judged, right? And that's America's favorite verse. And so I'm not judging you. Is that what Jesus does? No. He calls them out, and he goes, woe to you, Pharisees. You're blind guides. Blind men leading blind men. He goes, woe to you Pharisees, your whitewashed tombs. 
You got it all looking pretty on the outside, but you don't fool me. Inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Jesus is calling people out left and right. He is offensive. He demands complete and total obedience. He doesn't beat around the bush. Think about how he handled his buddy Peter. Not just sad, because some of you are thinking, well, that was the Pharisees, so he had to... He had to be pretty intense with the Pharisees, right? But what about how he handled Peter? Peter rebukes him about going back to Jerusalem and dying for our sins on the cross, right? Peter rebukes him. This is Peter, the rock on which I build the church, right? He just said that. Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter rebukes Jesus about going to Jerusalem. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, my friend. He doesn't say, hey, you're off base here, buddy. Why don't you come here? Let's talk about it. Why don't you come over here, buddy? Gosh, I love you so much, and I don't want to judge you or anything. Judge not lest you be judged. I don't want you to judge me or me to judge you, but man, can we talk about this? Let's go get some cotton candy and talk about it. Is that what Jesus says? Get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. I mean, I don't, is there a worse thing to call somebody? I don't know. I don't think there, I can't think of one, okay? He says, get behind me, Satan. He demands complete obedience. He is absolutely offensive. He points out sin. The message of the gospel itself starts with the idea that you're jacked up and you need help, right? That's where this whole thing starts, You're messed up, broken, and unable to fix yourself. To accept the gospel and Jesus, you've got to let go of some pride, right? That's why it's not universally accepted. And just just an aside here, the implication of that is that if, if the message you're preaching with your life and your words is accepted by all, it's probably not the gospel. If the message you're preaching with your life and your words is universally accepted by all, then it's probably not the gospel. It's probably not the truth. I think Jesus said it this way. Woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. Woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. Because the fact is the gospel, the uncompromised truth of the gospel, it creates as many enemies as it does converts. Because it is absolutely offensive. Now, some of you are going to use this and be like, see, that's why people don't like me. No, people don't like you because you're a jerk. (laughs) So I'm not saying go out and be a jerk and be like, ah, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm Pastor Jake Sad. It's okay. No, that's not what I'm saying. Some of you you don't have any friends because you're a jerk. Okay, that's a different message for a different time. I'm talking about you're preaching the truth of the gospel and making enemies. So you tracking with me? All the jerks in the room set? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But before we move on, I want you to hear something else about the idea that there's power in the one, Jesus. Um, We said he's strong enough to overcome the storms in your life. But now we see also in Mark 5 that he's strong enough to overcome the demons in your life. He speaks to this legion of demons and they obey him. The guy they they were tormenting is healed made whole. In fact, the demons were scared when they first saw Jesus. When they got a sight of Jesus, a glimpse of Jesus, they start to freak out, right? Yeah. And maybe that doesn't, maybe that doesn't mean a lot to you because you're going, Pastor, demons? I don't really have a demon problem. I got some problems like everybody else. I don't really have a demon problem. So I'm not sure I need Jesus to overcome the demons in my life. And maybe you have encountered and experienced some real direct demonic things in your life. Maybe you're experiencing that right now, and it's got you freaked out. I would just say this. Ephesians 6 is clear that our battle, the war you and I find ourselves in, make no mistake, you are in a battle. You were born into a war on the wrong side. We are at battle Against the forces of darkness. Ephesians 6 says that our battle is not against what? Flesh and blood. 
It's not a physical thing. Our battle instead, Ephesians 6 says, is against spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. In other words, whatever it is you're fighting, as far as sinful desires go, porn, lust, greed, pride, gossip, alcoholism, self-righteousness, it might not seem like a problem that's spiritual in nature, but it is. It is. There are spiritual forces of darkness at work, the Bible says. Now, I'm not the guy who points to demonic forces everywhere. Like, I'm not the guy who says this, the phrase spirit of in front of everything. Uh, there are guys who do that, like spirit of, oh, you're dealing with the spirit of lust. You're dealing with the spirit of greed. You're dealing with a, a spirit of anger. That's the Jezebel spirit. That's the Ahab spirit. That's the Ronald McDonald spirit. Like, I was just praying and really felt like you're dealing with the spirit of Big Mac. It's all over you. That's not me. The point I'm trying to make is really just that we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about the same thing. That when I say Jesus is strong enough to overcome the demons in your life, I'm talking about that thing that you can't seem to get rid of. This, that secret sin that you don't tell anybody about, that's eating you up on the inside, that addiction that owns you. I'm talking about your problem with pornography, your tendency to lie in order to make yourself look better, your battle with insecurity, your ability, inability to put the alcohol down, your selling out to greed and materialism. I'm talking about all of that. I'm talking about your refusal to submit to and trust the spiritual authority placed in your life because you think you know better. Listen, you can't beat it. You can't overcome it. You're not strong enough. You've got no shot, no amount of positive thinking or self-coaching or anything like that is going to solve your problems. You can't defeat this. No New Year's resolution is going to fix your problems. My New Year's resolution is to be more encouraging. How am I doing? <laughs> I feel like I'm knocking it out of the park today. Doesn't start till tomorrow, so I'm good. Totally good. Welcome to Great Oaks where I try to make you feel good about yourself and then see you later. No, but it's true. You can't, you can't beat this. Here's the good news. Jesus can. Jesus absolutely can. Jesus commands demons and they obey. Jesus has power over your sin, your temptation, your addiction. Jesus is the answer to your sin problem. He's strong enough to overcome the demons in your life. Look at verse 18 in Mark 5. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The, the natural response to being set free by Jesus is to want to be with him, to want to be in his presence, to want to follow him. If you haven't had that desire just to be with Jesus, just to know him more, you probably haven't been set free yet. Just a thought. Now, if you're not careful as you read uh, Mark 5, you'll think that this is over right after Mark 5.20, that this is Jesus' only trip to Decapolis that they go back to the safe zone and they stay there. But in Mark 7, Jesus goes back to Decapolis. He goes back to Decapolis. And I can't imagine that the disciples are excited about this. Can you? Like I'm, I'm thinking they're probably saying, are you kidding me? Like, do you remember what happened last time? Storm, almost died, naked demon guy running at us crowd kicked us out like surely we don't need to go back Jesus I thought you got that out of your system but this time there are some big differences it's about 12 to 18 months later at this point check it out in Mark 7 starting in verse 31 
It says, Then he returned, Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the what? Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. If you want to be healed after service, I'll, I'm going to spit on your tongue. Verse 34, you can just stay after, it's no big deal. Verse 34, looking up to, again, Jesus does what he wants. Looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them all to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Okay, so this trip is turning out different than the first one, isn't it? And the first time there's a storm, they finally get to the store, the, the shore, they're met by this demon-possessed crazy guy with a legion of demons inside of him. This time, Jesus shows up and there's a crowd of people. And get this, they know who he is already. They already know who he is. They bring him sick people, he heals them. Last time, a crowd showed up, but they kicked him out. They didn't ask him to stay, Right? After Legion Larry was set free, they wanted him out. <laughs> this time there's a crowd again. They can't stop praising him, spreading his word. They're zealously spreading. Like, he does all things well. Come and see. It's amazing. He just healed this deaf and mute guy. Okay. So, what happened? What changed? What, what changed in this 12 to 18 months between Jesus' trips to Decapolis, this dark, pagan, evil area full of demonic activity and idol worship? What changed? What could have caused this? Well, you remember what Jesus told the demon-possessed guy that he had just set free? He's leaving. Demon-possessed guy goes, can I, that formerly demon-possessed guy says, can I stay with you, spend time with you? He goes, no, stay here and what? Tell your friends about how God has had mercy on you. And the guy, it's crazy, but the guy did it. The guy, the guy did it. He just did it. Jesus was like, go, do this. And he was like, okay. Like, we're like, he's like, go, make disciples of all nations. And we're like, disciples, define that. Nations, what's that? Love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Right? This guy, he goes, go tell all your friends. And the guy's like, all right. And he just goes and, and he actually does it. He actually does it. That's what it was. That, that's the difference. That it was this one guy, this one changed life. I mean, that's the only difference Jesus made on his first trip to Decapolis. There was a crowd there, but he just reached this one guy. They kicked him out. He reached this one demon-possessed guy. That's all he did. Legion Larry was it. So in the 12 to 18 months between Jesus' first trip to Decapolis and his second, this guy went full speed telling everyone about what God had done for him through this guy, Jesus. So much so that when Jesus comes back, they're basically waiting on him and can't stop talking about how awesome he is. I mean, isn't this amazing? There's power in one changed life. There is power in one changed life. And listen, it's not like this guy knew a lot. I want you to see this. He didn't have the opportunity to sit with Jesus and learn and be discipled and be trained and then sent out. That's not what happened. He was with them for like a second and then Jesus left. So he's not walking around teaching and preaching, is he? No. What, what's he doing? He's just telling people his story. He's going, hey, hey, did you hear how I used to be a crazy guy and I lived in the tombs? I, didn't, I ripped my clothes off. People couldn't shackle me. I was nuts. Did you know that? Jesus, this guy named Jesus set me free. Hey, have I, have I got a chance to tell you about how I had not one demon, not two demons, but a legion of demons living in me? 
I know it sounds crazy. Ask some people. They were there. And Jesus came. This guy named Jesus came. And he healed me. He set me free. And then he left. I don't, I don't know why he left, but I know this. I know he's coming back. And I think you should maybe get ready. Hey, have I told you the story of how I killed like 2,000 pigs in one second? I mean, it was crazy. Bacon for everybody. Just bacon for all my friends. Okay, actually, I didn't kill him. Jesus did. And I don't know why he sent the demons out of me into the pigs. Like, it was pretty strange to me, too. But I don't care. We can ask him maybe later. Because he left, but he's coming back. And I think you should get ready. I think that he can set you free, just like he set me free. I mean, that's the power of one changed life. One person who's not scared to tell people about what Jesus has done in their life. I'm not talking about theology and doctrine and Bible knowledge. I'm talking about here's what happened to me. I don't have all the answers, but here's what happened to me. Jesus did it. What, do you want to come to church with me? Hey, here's what happened to me. Jesus changed my life. You mind if we talk about that for a couple seconds? That's it. This is the power of just one changed life. Maybe you're frustrated because you've tried to be a witness, but your numbers aren't that great. You were rejected by everybody, or maybe you got a few to consider Christ and maybe come to church or whatever, but somewhere along the way you got discouraged and you stopped because you weren't seeing those big number results. Maybe things got difficult and you gave up. After Jesus went to Decapolis the first time, don't you think people probably thought that was a wasted trip? Don't you think people probably were like, why'd you go there? Don't you know they're beyond saving Jesus? Like you went there, you say you're all powerful, but you went there and they kicked you out. Just one guy, you just made one convert. You just made one guy believe in you. Like what's that gonna do? We told you those people were too far, too far gone. I bet people looked at the first trip as a failure. But there's so much power in just one changed life. So no matter what's happened in the past, You've got to keep telling people about what God has done in your life. Because someone is going to listen and get on fire for God. And before you know it, there's going to be a crowd of people who give their lives over to Christ. Come to church, whatever it is, give their lives over to Christ. Because that person did what this guy did and just told everybody what God has done in their life. And since that person was lost and in dark places, they were around dark people who need Jesus. And so when they turned, they weren't looking at a bunch of church people. They were looking at a bunch of lost people. And so when they told their story, it wasn't something people had heard before. And darkness was dispelled by the light. Do you hear what I'm saying? And they started to get on fire. And they started to tell one after the other after the other. And God did amazing things or is going to do amazing things. It's the power of one changed life. And maybe one changed life is too, too big of a thing for you, too lofty, too big for you to wrap your mind around. Okay, well, it really starts before that. You see, there's power in just one step of obedience. There's power in just one step of obedience, and that's the thought I want to leave you with. Jesus was obedient And going across the Sea of Galilee, even though it was dangerous, this one guy was obedient and staying there, not going with Jesus, but staying there and telling his friends about what Jesus had done. That's it. That's it. The power of one. The power of one. Jesus, he has the power over the storms and the demons in your life. The power of one changed life, the power of one step of obedience. So as we end 2017 today and we start 2018 tomorrow, what is God asking you to do? What steps of obedience is he asking you to take? Who do you need to talk to about what God has done in your life? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a good, good father. You do all things well. God, I'm so just amazed at your power and your love for us. 
that you not only stilled the storm in Mark 4, but you can still and do still the storm in our lives today. I pray that we would run to that. I pray that we would place our hope in that. That we would hope in you. We would find our hope in you and you alone. I pray, Jesus, that you would speak clearly to us, clearly to us today, God, about what step of obedience we need to take this week, this next year. Let us be faithful and faith-filled in stepping out in obedience towards you. You've only asked us to do what you've asked us to do. Let us, let us just do it like this guy in Decapolis who was set free. Let us respond to your saving grace by just doing whatever it is you're asking us to do. God, if there's someone in here who needs to give their life over to you, if they haven't yet lived by the fact, the truth, they haven't begun to live their life by the truth that there is power in the one, that there is power in you, Jesus. Power to overcome emptiness, power to overcome sin, power to overcome the darkness. God, if they're in here and they haven't yet begun to live their life that way, if it's maybe something they they said a prayer when they were 10 or they just come to church as this religious activity on a religious day and they have, but they haven't started to live their life based on the truth that there's this power in the Son of God, that there's power in Jesus and that the, the resurrecting power of you, Christ Jesus, can dwell in us, your word says. They, don't, they haven't yet lived their life by that. Or, or maybe they're just here kind of randomly with a family member, they're in town, whatever, and they've never even faked it. They've never even said a prayer. They've never even thought about it. But today, God, you're, you're wooing their souls and wooing their hearts. God, if they're in here, I pray that today would be the day, that this last day of 2017 would be the day that you transform their heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. God, that your truth, the seed of your truth would go deep into their heart and create fruit. God, that it would bear much fruit. I pray right now that they would make a decision for you. Don't wait on anything else. That they would begin 2018 tomorrow, a new creation. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Overcome and overwhelm the doubts and the questions and enlighten their hearts to the truth of your gospel. We love you, Jesus. We trust you in all of this. Help us, God. In Jesus' name. May you gain a revelation of the power of Jesus, that he's strong enough to overcome the storms and the demons in your life. May you be overwhelmed by a passion to see lost people come to know Christ because you realize the power of one changed life. And may you be bold enough and trust God enough to take one powerful step of obedience this week, next week, and all throughout 2018. God bless you. Make sure you go to a life group this week. If you're not in a life group, stop at the life group station at the Welcome Center on your way out. Get signed up. Bring someone with you next week as we start the Passion series, or I'm sorry, My Passion, the series My Passion. And then as always, don't let this stop with you. Take this teaching from Mark 4 through 7 to somebody else this week. Talk to them about the storms and the demons in their lives. Talk to them about the power of one. Just like you've been helped to take your next step towards God, help others to do that as well. Be a Jesus follower who makes them disciples Jesus followers. God bless you, and I'll see you next year.